It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Good evening and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you back to Guys Guys Radio, the place where men and women can be at their best. Everyone wins on KCAA, FM 102.3, 106.5, and AM 1050. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific time, we're going to be on the air. You can also catch 340 podcasts we've done prior to this. You can catch all of them on iTunes, Stitcher, Block Talk Radio, TuneIn, and also our KCAA shows are all on Spreaker, and we're going to be going on to iHeartRadio's national footprint, if you will, uh, very soon. So really looking forward to that. So welcome back to the show. This is the place where, where men and women can be at their best. Everyone wins. It's called Guys Guys Radio. We love babes. We love beer. We love football and all that stuff, all the stuff guys like. But also it's about being the best man you can possibly be. And it's for women also to live their best lives. So we bring you lots of different guests from different areas of just uh, for people who are seeking, wanting to get the most out of life, wanting more than just the paycheck and paying their bills and just doing the dry cleaning and all the day-to-day stuff. We get into that rat race that we're in and we just keep going round and round and round. My job is to bring you things and people to consider, things to think about, new ways of looking at things. It could be about wellness. It could be metaphysical. It could be spiritual. It could be about love. It could be about lifestyle. And everybody's welcome here on Guys Guys Radio. So the first couple of shows, we've had some metaphysical guests, and we have a, another one this evening coming on, Paul Selig who's a really fantastic uh, person, and he's a channeler, and he's put out six books that have been channeled through him uh, and transcribed. And the first one is called I Am the Word, and the one we're going to be focusing on tonight is the Book of Freedom. And they're really life-changing books. They've, they've helped me a lot. We'll get into that when Paul comes on to the broadcast, and uh, I think you're really going to be impressed. He's going to hopefully do some channeling through his guides while on the air, and uh, it's going to be amazing. And I've worked with Paul before, and he is the best. So, before we get there, let's talk a little bit about what's going on. Um, guys, Guys Radio, it all started with my novel, The Guys, Guys, Guide to Love. It's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's been called The Male Sex in the City. If you want to support the show, buy my book. You can go on Amazon, any of the e-tailers. You can read the reviews. Everything's five stars. It's a lot of fun, and I think um, it'll be well worth your time and a couple of bucks for that. Uh, let's see what else is happening. This is a New Year's, so a lot of people have their New Year's resolutions. At the end of the show, I'm going to give a couple of uh, thoughts to uh, what New Year's resolutions can be to be really easy. But I'll tell you a little bit about what my New Year's resolution was last year as we get into the show. Um, I had been on diets like so many of us. We yo-yo diet. We fast. We do intermittent fasting. We do paleo. There's so many different ways to diet nowadays. Uh, and what seems to happen is they work when you're on the diet, and then you get off the diet and you go right back up again. So I recalled running into an old uh, high school uh, classmate about 10 years ago, and he was kind of a chubby kid. He was the manager of our soccer team, and he didn't play uh, the game. He, he, was, he was the manager, and he was, you know, he was a little bit chubby, I would say, and I think he would agree with that. And then I saw him about 10 years ago, and he was tall and lean. I'm like, hey, man, you look great. What have you been doing? What happened? He goes, you know, I don't eat as much. 
And I was like, wow. And it kind of stuck with me for the last 10 years. And when I was trying to come up with an idea for developing my own kind of diet thing, I decided, you know what? What if I just eliminated one food source or one beverage over a course of a, of a year? Because usually we do these diets, we go a month or two, and then we you know, slag off or we make excuses. Yeah, I can have that slice of pizza and I'll do more cardio tomorrow. I'll hop on the elliptical for an extra 15 minutes, whatever it is. We, come, we tend to come up with excuses and that gets us off the program. So I said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to develop something called the Process of Elimination Diet Program. Now, I'm not saying this is for everybody. This worked for me, so I'm sharing it. What I did was I gave up one food or beverage every week in 2018. So 52 foods and beverages I gave up, and it was cumulative. So uh, the first week I gave up alcohol. So I went the entire 2018 without a drink. And believe me, it wasn't easy, particularly you get into those summer months and you go out to the cafes and everybody's enjoying margaritas and long neck beers and it's like wow i'm thirsty and you're having your sparkling water with lime but after a while you know what it becomes second nature and then i gave up uh whatever that my body said i was craving so the next week i gave up cookies because once i gave up alcohol i started eating cookies and then the following week i gave up candy and then i gave up cake and then i gave up pie and croissants and muffins and then i soda and ice cream and potato chips and I just kept following whatever I was craving. And before you know it, it was summer. And before you know it, I had lost 24 pounds. And before you know it, I was in great shape. And before you know it, my mind was clear and I, I didn't have the cravings that I had. The things I gave up, I kind of forgot about them. Anyhow, my weight topped out at uh, minus 24 pounds. And I kept that weight for the rest of the year. Uh, I felt fantastic. And then on New Year's Eve, my wife and I, we kind of partied it up. We got some champagne, sparkling wine, tequila, some lobsters, and we had a blast. And uh, then I thought to myself, okay, what am I going to do in 2019? Because the program's over. I'm going to yo-yo right back up again. So I decided, okay, I'm going to give myself two weeks, whatever I want. And it was so interesting because my taste buds had changed when I had a little bit of tequila. I was like, I could actually taste the herbaceousness of it. When I had a little vodka, I could taste it. I had a Polish vodka and it had some rye in it. It was made from, distilled from rye. I could taste the rye, which was so weird. And other things that I hadn't had, I could taste like things that were sweet or sugar laden. They seemed incredibly sweet, cloyingly sweet, overpowering. And I decided, okay, I'll just go two weeks and have whatever I want, and then I'll make a decision. So after two weeks, which could be, the decision could be, hey, I'm just going to eat what I want, or I'm going to go back on the process of elimination diet for another year, give up something every week, or I'm going to modify. So I decided, you know what, the process of elimination diet, which, I, by the way, I blogged about on my website, robertmanny.com. I also have uh, talked about it on my podcast, Guys Guys Radio. I'm talking about it here. But I, I determined that... Giving up one thing a week was great, but I needed to do something different. I, I was, I'd kind of been there, done that. So for 2019, I decided after two weeks, which is now, I decided, okay, I'm going to give up one food per month. I'm going to go on a modified plan, so I only have to give up 12 things. And I'll pick the 12 things that I don't think are the best for me and the 12 things I can easily kind of sidestep. So the first thing I gave up was ice cream. 
on January 15th. I said, no ice cream for the rest of the year. And it's not going to be a big deal for me because I don't really vibe that much for ice cream. When I'm eating it, I like it, but I know it's just for me, I gain weight when I eat ice cream. If I look at pizza, I gain weight. If I have a beer, I gain weight, it seems like. So I'm going to start, I'm going to just follow where my cravings are. But the first thing I gave up, and I'll only be doing 12 things this year, was ice cream. And we'll see how it goes. So that's my process of elimination diet. I'm actually writing a book about it. Hopefully it'll be out within a within a year. But that's the core of the program. So, you know, it's not for everybody, but it's not about playing games either. You give something up and then you have to give something else up and it's aggregate. So throughout the year, you keep giving things up. You could do it every week. You could do it every month. You could do it um, every other week. So anyhow, that's my program. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to bring our special guest, Paul Seligout, and we're going to talk about his new book, The Book of Freedom. And I can't wait to get started. Uh, we've got a special show, as I mentioned to you this evening. Paul Selig is here. He is one of the world's most foremost uh, channels, and he's a psychic and an intuitive, and he's just an, an empath, and he's just an amazing person. Um, let me tell you a little story before we bring Paul out. Um, I was in a bookstore about eight or nine years ago, and uh, as, as it has happened to me in the past, I just stumble upon the right book at the right time. And I was, my wife was, was uh, shopping for some stones, some gemstones. And I saw this book, it said, I am the word. And I picked it off the shelf and I started flipping through it. And I'm like, oh, Paul Selleck, he's from New York. I'm going to buy this book. I picked up the book. I bought it. I went home and I read it. I really didn't get it. And then what I rarely do is I read it again and I got, I got it a bit. And then I read it a third time, and it's not the fault of the book, it's, my, it's me, where I was at the time, and it clicked. And then I've been a follower ever since in terms of uh, Paul working with his guides. I took a couple of his workshops. My wife and I took a workshop together, a weekend workshop with Paul. And uh, I like to say as a result of that, nine months later, um, we had our son, and he is a very special kid, as all, of course all parents think that, but he's just a beautiful person. Uh, and we're thrilled about that. And I've continued to follow Paul. He's been a guest on Guys Guys Radio. I did a reading with him a number of years ago, and uh, the guides were kind enough to give me an assignment that I'm following through on. I'll mention it in a little bit. But uh, Paul has been, and his work with the guides have been a real influence on me. And uh, I really am proud to bring the message of the guides out to our listeners out there, because I think it's really important, particularly at this time. So let's welcome to the show um, Paul Selig, the channel, the author, the empath, and somebody that everybody's going to get to know in the next couple of years, because his following is growing and growing and growing. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Okay, the newest book is The Book of Freedom. This is the sixth book that you've uh, channeled, so to speak, and uh, these come through from your guides. And as you say at the beginning of the book of freedom, and by the way, I think it's the best of the books. And I don't know, I don't know if this is uh, the case in, for most people, but I found that the more of your books that I've read, the easier it has become for me to comprehend them quickly. I had to go back a couple of times and read some of the sentences and just like make sure I processed everything. But I found uh, the books more and more easier to read and contemplate and, and comprehend 
and also uh, f- filled with more relevant messages. Uh, do you notice that speaking to some other folks who have followed you and the guides? Yeah, I hear people are excited about this book, which makes me wonder what they're going to think about the one that's coming out in August. You know, I have right. no idea. You know, the books are all the, the they're, they're all spoken. There's no writing in this. So the books are, are, are the transcripts of the recordings that are done now in live workshops. So the Book of Freedom was dictated before audiences over a couple of months. And then the unedited transcripts become the book. I think it's possible that I'm a more fluid channel than I was. I think it's possible that through doing this again and again, the guides have figured out how to get their messages across succinctly. Um, I also think it's possible that the woman who's now transcribing these things, who um, does a wonderful job, has a better ability to punctuate a verbal text than I ever did. You know, I didn't know how to use a semicolon or an M dash Mm-hmm. Um, I was first doing this. So, you know, because the, the transcripts are unedited, you're actually reading what is delivered in the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that it tracks as well as it does to me is pretty astonishing because there's really no writing involved. Okay. Um, let's take a half step back just for the benefit of our listeners who have not heard of you and are not familiar with your works yet. You uh, grew up in New York City. Um, you uh, went to NYU. Uh, also Yale, and then you had a spiritual experience in 1987, left you as a clairvoyant, and from there you did energy healing, and you started to hear hear for your clients. And so having worked with you and seen you work, what you do, Paul, and I know you will will articulate it better than I will, is you can, um, as an empath, kind of jump into the person you're speaking with, and you also channel uh, guides from what they've described themselves from where? What are they called? Well, they exist in what they call the, the, the level of the Christ consciousness, for lack of a better way to explain it. They're teachers, and they're coming from a higher perspective. Okay, so, uh, and that's how the books, they come through Paul, and you've described yourself kind of as a radio frequency where you're not creating these messages, you are transcribing them for, for us. Yeah, I, I'm a clear audience, I hear. So when I'm working as a channel, um, I'm hearing the guides that come through me, and I'm repeating what I'm hearing, often, you know, at a breakneck pace, um, and they're lecturing, and the lectures are the books. Um, when I work as a psychic or an empath, I'm also working as a radio. But, for example, if I'm reading you, you're the station that I tune into and play. So I'm mm-hmm. hearing you or the people that you ask about. So if you want to think of me as a switchboard, when I'm plugged into the guides, that's the broadcast. When I'm plugged into you, you're the broadcast that I'm then picking up on. Okay. So in addition, in addition to the workshops you do and your one-on-one readings, you've written now uh, six books. This one's called The Book of Freedom, uh, Master Trilogy, the third book. Uh, what has been kind of the arc with the two sets of three books? Well, how, do you, how would you describe the path that your readers are going on by um, reading these? And there are attunements, as the guides say, within the book. So as you're reading, you're being kind of attuned from a frequency standpoint. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, the guides say that the books are operating on two levels. They're the words on the page, which provide an intellectual context for the teachings. But they say the real book is the energy that informs the words. And, you know, the books 
come with energy. If you go to the reviews, you know, on Amazon, you'll see these people saying, I'm reading this book and my body's vibrating. Mm-hmm. This book and I'm feeling energy. I'm seeing auras. I mean, these things have been happening or the reports have been coming since the very first book was published in, I think, 2010. Um, so, yeah. So I'm not sure if I re- even recall your question. So the books are. The, uh, has there been an arc with from the first oh, the book to the sixth book? Yeah, there is. And there's actually now a seventh book as well. Um, the seventh book is coming out in August, and they're just continuing these teachings. Um, in the very first book, I Am the Word, the guides say the Christ in humanity is an event that happens. And when they use the word Christ, they're speaking in their own language, and they're speaking of the aspect of the creator that can be realized in material form. And the real teaching is the realization and embodiment of what they call the true self or the divine self. Um, And the true self is the eternal self that operates beyond fear and beyond the structures that we know of as personality. So they're really supporting us in stages in realizing what they would say, I suggest the truth of who we truly are and who everybody is. So uh, in this book, the uh, Book of Freedom, there's a a lot of uh, 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 context of the small self and then the divine self. And Mm -hmm. the challenge uh, uh, seems to be how do we move from our perspective and our consciousness as individuals and also as a culture from the focus uh, and reactive nature of the small self to acting together as a divine self and it seems like the the word freedom means freeing ourselves of the fear uh that the small self has been kind of wrapped in and getting to the uh, uh the, the divinity that the divine self is opening for us is that accurate yeah that's a good way to put it you know the guides say we're operating in a collective field or octave it's a shared reality we all know what the sky is what the ocean is what a man is, what a woman is, and all of the meaning that these things have carried throughout time. And in some ways, um, we're limited by these things and the beliefs that come with them. So the claim that they work with in the Book of Freedom, which is, I am free, I am free, I am free. And the guides say, at the level of the divine self or the true self, you're always free because you're not bound by the collective. They speak to that kind of as um, sort of punching a hole through the false ceiling that we've all agreed to, you know, to what exists beyond that. And what exists beyond that, they say, is a higher octave, another way of being. And so their speaking of realization and embodiment is really aligning to that higher level, that higher self that exists there. In manifestation is who you are. And they say that actually liberates the world. It's how you see things. And it seems like the guides are telling us we have created all of these definitions of things that don't have to be that way. And it even gets to the point where, you know, is a table a table or is it a table because we collectively have decided that it's a table? And what if we didn't decide it's a table? It could be anything. Imagine how different our lives would be. And the guides seem to be asking us. Would you like to go to a life where the table doesn't have to be the table? War doesn't have to be war. You don't recognize war. It doesn't have to be there. Help me out with this, Paul, because I know I'm just rambling. So the guides say that we're living in a collective field and we're living basically in a museum. They say, look around the room that you're in. Everything that you see was named by the people that came before you. 
And the guides say that the small self operates from a menu that's been inherited. Mm -hmm. So we're all in agreement to what we've been taught is so. Now, they don't deny that a table is a table, but they also say what the table is, is an idea of a table that we're all in agreement to. And the guides say that everything exists in multiple octaves. And I suppose you might substitute the word dimensions, for, although they don't really use that. And they say if you think of a piece of music, you can play it in any octave into infinity. It's the same music, but it's operating in a higher accord. Mm -hmm. And when the music is played in a higher accord, it calls to it that which is of like vibration. So in a very simple level, when you, would, when you unattach to what things have been, the true self, I guess, can know them anew. And the guides say again and again, this teaching comes at the cost of the old. So the true self knows, the small self thinks, and the true self is the one who is actually basically lifting the world because the true self operates in a higher accord. So it's not so much that the table isn't to the table, it's that everything can be renown in a higher way. Let's take the example of uh, a couple of things. Let's go with war. Um, it seems like the guides are saying that, you know, the reason we have war is that we're, we keep acknowledging it. We keep it in our consciousness, but we can be in a place where we are recognizing war. So we wouldn't have war if we didn't stoop to the level of uh, reaction, reactionary behavior, so to speak. No, I mean, there's, you see, it's not about denying what's present. It's not about okay. pretending there's no war, which would be, you know, denial or what people are not calling spiritual bypassing. It's realizing that the divine or whatever you want to call God, if you want to use that word, is must be present in everything, absolutely everything. So you, if you just decide that God is a pretty butterfly and a, a happy child, you know, and a, a sunset you're excluding an enormous amount of reality from God. And the guides say God is all things or no thing at all. So the realization of the divine in everything you see, actually the guides say reclaims what you see and lifts it. So you're realizing the inherent divine, the divine that must be there. The guides say there is one note played that is God, if you want to call it that, that's expressing in, in infinite, infinite ways. So God is your left hand, God is the leaf, God is the happy child, and also God is the battlefield. To realize the divine at that level is actually to reclaim it or re-know it. Now the guides say when you lift to the what they call the upper room or the higher octave where they teach, the idea of war makes no sense because war has its basis in fear. And the guides say again and again, the action of fear is to claim more fear. When you're not operating in fear, you're not moving into vibrational accord with the idea of war. And at that level, you stop becoming complicit to it or creating it. So the, you have, it's really about moving to a level of consciousness where war becomes an impossibility. And what the guides say to us is, you know, we've lived on a planet for so long with war that we expect it to be there. It's part of the shared reality that we're all in agreement with. And by agreement, they say vibration or accord. What you expect, you tend to get. 
So to move to the aspect of the self that can't agree to that actually supports the potential for a new realization, which is a world without what we have known ourselves through. They also talk about um, how, uh, in, in, in a practical sense, how we deal with day-to-day things. Let's say something bad happens to someone and um, we want to comfort them, but we don't want to put power in the thing that caused them pain. Could you explain that a little bit? Well, I mean, the guides have said a lot of times, you know, you can't be a victim and a master at the same time, you know. So it's not to, I mean, it's hard with, for me, I mean, you're, you're speaking of some of the concepts without the language that the guides use to describe it. Right. And because I'm actually not the author of the book, I'm just taking mm-hmm. the dictation for it. I'm happy to go through my memory back and say, well, what were they saying about this? Okay. I mean, here's an example. You know, if something happens, it's an opportunity to learn. It's not necessarily an opportunity to claim the self and victimhood and then operate through that that identity. If you do that, if somebody's operating what the guides would call low vibration, and you stoop to that level of vibration to meet them, you're actually lowering your own field, and you're going into vibrational accord with the very thing that isn't helpful. The idea then would be to lift the other person, and you lift that by knowing who they are beyond the idea of themselves that they're operating through, which is, you know, I'm the one that terrible things happen to. Do you understand that? Yes. Um, throughout the book, the uh, and I say this every day, I can't tell you how many times a day, but it's I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I am free. I am free. I am free. Please explain that to our listeners, what that really means and why it's so powerful. Well, the guides work with these things they call attunements. The guides say we're all radios and we're all in broadcast, and the broadcast that we hold is our consciousness. Our consciousness is what is confirming the reality that we hold. So again, if you are in resonance, for lack of a better word, or in tone at a certain level, you're calling to you everything that exists in like vibration. You know about the law of attraction that people talk about. I suppose this is another way of looking at that. Mm-hmm. Now, the claims that the guides make are the claims of the true self, not the personality self. So if I were to say, Paul, I'm Paul, I know who I am. I'm in my 50s. I live in New York City. I channel these books. Mm-hmm. That's the idea of who I am. Right. Claim I know who I am, which is the guide's claim, is the claim of the divine self or the true self who knows who he is or who she is, who exists beyond time. It's the claim of the eternal self, the divine as identity. I know who I am. The second claim, um, I know what I am, the divine in manifestation as the form that you've taken and inclusive of the body, the divine as what. Um, And the claim, I know how I serve, is the claim of expression. The true self as you knows how he serves. He's not trying to figure it out. You know, again, the truth mm-hmm. knows and the small self thinks. And if you have a question about the difference between thinking and knowing, just go to a time in your life when you knew something without question, you know, and remember what that's like. Because when you know something, you tend to be operating in a much higher way than when you're trying to figure it out. So I know who I am. I know what I am. I know how I serve. The guides say are claims of truth and are also attunements. Um, when you play these things, the guides speak to them as if they're notes on a piano. 
that create a chord. Um, the full chord, when it's played, actually has great power and great resonance. And when people work with these claims, there's often an energy that accompanies them. I just came back from a workshop in Austin where there were you know, over 100 people working with this. And people that have never felt energy before are feeling you know, the vibration of this through their bodies as they claim it and as they move into vibrational accord with it. So what you're doing is you're tuning the radio that you are to play the higher broadcast. And these claims of truth are essentially like coordinates. It's like the numbers that you plug into a jukebox to play a certain piece of music. If you plug the numbers in, that song will play. And the attunements are operating in a very similar way. Now, um, the guides speak about throughout the book permission, the importance of permission. So uh, we have to give them, if we want to work through with them to work through us, we have to give them permission. And I'm, I'm assuming you gave them permission to work through you. Um, could you tell, tell us a little bit about that, the importance of permission and uh, uh, the, the respect that's there and uh, the importance that uh, we, we ask for? It's like asking angels, whatever, for help. Uh, they're not going to help you unless you ask. But if you do ask, you will get help in some form or fashion that you might not comprehend yeah. the, the way they're helping, but you will get help. It's like you get what you ask for. You just mm -hmm. have to have faith that you'll, you'll get your answer. Well, what I understand is that we have free will and the guides aren't going to override that. So permission is granted. So in order to, to be worked with. So in my experience, you know, as somebody who's been doing this for a while, I, I almost, I don't think I ever get told what to do. If I say, is this a good time to cross the street and walk head on into traffic? I might hear not wise you know, because it's my choice. If I want to walk into traffic, it's not right. the choice I can make. Whenever I hear not wise, there's usually going to be some ramification of the choice that I'm intending to make, but I'm not told not to do it. So uh, the process that the guides seem to work with is, I mean, none of this stuff is convenient to the personality. None of it at all. It's not easy. It's why probably never be doing this stuff on, on cruise ships. You know, it's not about how to, to get a, a better apartment or a more, a more beautiful partner. You know, it really is about what they say, the realization of the true self. And, um, that comes at the cost of who we think we are and often what we think we want because much of what we want is what we've been told to want or taught to want through the cultures that we're born into. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to that point, um, there is a section in the book towards the end about uh, manifestation. And the, I think it's the clearest uh, messaging I've ever read about what we can do to manifest because so many people in today's society since the secret came out everybody's like I want a Cadillac and they, they they're not going through the process the right way and they're, they're giving a lot of little tips from different places and different people but I think the guides really put it together very nicely uh, coming from the heart could you explain that a little bit at what the guides talk about in terms of manifestation um, but they say really we're always in manifestation it's not about getting something. The life that you're looking at right now is in vibrational accord to the life that you thought you could claim. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, is, what do you think and what do the guys think is the biggest uh, stumbling block to people um, recognizing their divinity and being able to put this into fruition during their day-to-day -day lives? Is it fear that's holding us back? I think it's a lack of worth, and I think there's the collective agreement that it's not possible. 
you know, and I think the Book of Freedom is addressing that. I mean, the collective field says this is impossible. You know, when I developed as a clairaudient, um, I didn't know what clairaudience was. You know, I had no context for this. And, you know, in a, when I first studied energy healing back when I was in my early 30s, I watched this old Irish woman stand in front of a room full of people and call this energy forth. It just rocked my entire body. And the whole room was experiencing it. And what she gave me in that moment was permission to know something that had been prior unknowable, you know, heretofore unknowable. So what the guides are doing is really giving us permission to move beyond the idea of the small self and the construct that we've created our lives through to something much higher. But we do have to believe that we're worthy of these things. And we also have to stop listening to fear. The action of fear is to claim more fear. And if you watch the TV for five minutes, you'll get enough fear to last you a month. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so true. Um, why do you think the guides have come uh, now? Uh, it, this, they call this kind of a time of reckoning. Why, why is it a time of reckoning? Uh, and it, is it has to do with this particular point in history? Uh, is it coincidental or is this been something that needed to be kind of uh, quote unquote discovered? Or is this important that this is happening right now? Well, the guides define reckoning as a facing of oneself and all of one's creations. And they say that everything that's been created in fear needs to be recreated in a higher way. And much of the world that we live in is got a real basis in fear. So if you look at all of the structures that we've been operating with, whether they be political or religious or financial, you know, the idea of fear and control is, is, is party to many of these things, even if they didn't begin that way. So we're seeing a real foundational shaking. And what I heard when they first started talking about this in the first book, I Am the Word, which was dictated almost 10 years ago now, um, they pretty much said, you know, the, you, you know, you continue to build bigger bombs in the belief that that's going to keep you safe. And if you think of the insanity of a bomb keeping you safe, you can see where you've come to. So sometimes I think that it's because we really do have the capacity at this time to blow ourselves all up. And the guides say, well, if that happens, and they don't say it's going to, but they say if it were to, you'd learn through that as well. This is all about learning. But I also believe that this is a time of, of new potential. And that what's available to us now is is quite remarkable, but we have to we have to claim it. We have to claim our true inheritance. I mean, for me to stand in a room full of people who've never felt energy and they're all having this experience of something beyond themselves, it's remarkable that it's even happening. And I don't know that that could have happened ten years ago. I think that there's something that's present now that's allowing us all to to begin to lift beyond what we've thought was possible. Mm -hmm. Paul, what, how does, uh, if you don't mind my asking, how has this affected you over the last 10 years? How do you feel like you've changed as a person? You've done so much of this channeling and, uh, and so many people uh, say, oh, they want to be channels. Uh, but uh, from my experiencing you channeling, it's like, it seems it's a lot of, it's, it's, it's I don't want to say it's tedious, but it seems like it's really, uh, I don't know, a draining or what, whatever, but it's not easy work. 
how, how has it affected you doing this for all these years now? You know, I was doing this very quietly for many years while I had another life. You know, I taught at NYU and right. I ran a graduate program at, a, at Goddard College. And I was, was doing this stuff, you know, once a week in my apartment for a group of people. And I wasn't advertising it and I wasn't looking to be known for this. I had no interest in, in, in being public. So, I mean, now I am public, you know, I left my jobs in academia about three years ago, and this is what I do now. Channeling for me is a very physical process. Yeah. I see some people that seem to just sort of, you know, float along and it, it looks, it, it's easy. Maybe they have a, a more developed energy system. I really don't know. But for me, it's always been a physical process and it's not so much that it's draining. Um, it is work. And in my case, what I'm doing is taking dictation. So when people say I want to be a channel, I don't know why, I don't know why they would want it. Necessarily. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's a form of stenography. If it's true channeling, I, I think people sometimes call things that are sort of inspired channeled. And I think that there's a difference between inspiration and channeling. You know, I don't edit the work that comes through me. If I were to edit it, I don't think it would be channeled. You know, it's, it's then it's, they're, they're not my words to edit, put it that way. That would, that's the difference that I, I tend to speak about. Now, my life has completely changed. I'm living a different life than I ever thought I would. Um, I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I don't want to be. In a lot of ways, I'm the radio for this teaching that comes through. And, you know, some nights, maybe not tonight, but I've gotten much better at sort of translating the teachings when people ask about them. But my real job is to sit in the chair and be present for what comes through. When I do the psychic work or the reading work, I'm more involved. If you ask me to step into your wife and see what's up with her and I do that, you know, that's a bit more fun for me because it's... I'll say it's a little more creative. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to feel what it's like to be your wife. I may start to look like her when I'm doing it. And, you know, I'll access information that you can then prove out or she can then prove out. And that's, I take pleasure in that. That's fun. And it's not that I don't like channeling, but I feel that the channeling is a real responsibility. It's about being clear for the right. broadcast that wants to come through. Now, for the benefit of our listeners, who do you... Um, you you bringing in different guides, um, and sometimes I notice having attended your workshops, you'll have a different kind of a voice or intonation, and it seems like oh somebody else has come in now. Uh, is it usually is it the same uh, entities coming in? Uh, do you have new ones come in? Are they all from the past? Are some of them more current? Um, do you have any way of differentiating? I feel them and I hear them more than I see them. There's one that I've seen a few times is very specific to me. And I'm grateful that I've had that experience visually because it's given me an anchor. Um, but I was doing this well before I saw. And um, that was just confirmation because I recognized who I'd been hearing and what it be by, more by what it felt like to be him. You know, because that was the being that was stepping into me. And, you know, I don't have, I have hazel eyes when I channel sometimes. And there are certain things the guides do when they, 
they face people individually and work with them. I'm told my eyes are bright, bright blue. And I, you know, the guy that I saw had those beautiful, bright blue eyes. And I trusted him enormously when I saw him. I recognized him and his love for me and what was happening here. When I have a different experience of channeling, for example, there's one guy that I work with who seems to use, use the word deers, which is a word that I really can't stand, you know. Whenever I hear, oh, deers, I go, oh, there's that guy again with the deers. The whole book of truth, which was the fifth book in the, in the, in, in the series, I was pretty much dictated in that voice. And it was very careful and very, very precise and really elegant to take the dictation. I felt like I was sitting in a chair and somebody was reading me something that they had prepared very carefully. The guide with a British accent or that comes through sometimes with that accent has a great joy in his expression and hearing himself speak and seems to enjoy oration. And his metaphors are often about music and tone and and um, the great chorus, you know. And he's been coming through, um, you know, throughout. But when you look at the transcripts of these channelings, they're all consistent in terms of the cadence and the word choices, really, with the exception of perhaps the arrival of the word deers. Um, and I know this because I just went back to the very first book recently, I Am the Word, which I haven't looked at in nine years. And I started to listen to the audio book. And I was struck by how consistent the teachings are from one book to the next. And I'm the word is creating a foundation for all of the other teachings that follow. Um, and they're unpacking this. But I do understand that they're a collective. They're working as a group. And the idea of the individuated voices is less interesting to me than the consistency of the message. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, it seems like, and you're a guy, that the, the voices come through, they seem masculine. Do you ever notice like, oh, that's a feminine uh, entity at all? Or do, I know it doesn't really matter, just out of curiosity. No, I mean, when I'm channeling, I haven't really had that experience. But again, I'm hearing, I'm hearing, I'm working as a clairaudient. I'm not hearing it delivered in a bass. I think if you were to listen to your own thoughts, you're not speaking as a tenor. You're not thinking as a tenor or a baritone. Right, right. Face. It's just the voice. And the quality of the voice that I experience has felt male to me, but I, that just may well be interpretation. I, I can feel the distinction very often of gender, but not always because, you know, I've tuned into some, even though this sounds sort of odd, so it's just very male you know, very assertive, very aggressive, blah, 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 blah. But I still feel the texture of the female that's party to them. Right. <clears throat> but I often don't know if somebody says, you know, um, tune into, you know, I don't know, Johnny Park and Johnny's a female. I'm assuming I'm tuning into a man and Johnny is J-O-N-I, you know, mm -hmm. and, right. feeling a female. Sometimes I'll know it right away. But often I'm just hearing the concerns of, of the consciousness of Johnny, which is operating beyond gender. All right. Uh, let's, we have a couple of minutes. Let's have a little fun if we can. Um, let me ask you one because you say you like to be uh, the empath. I have a son. His name is Sky Manny. Maybe uh, I, I want to make sure I'm doing a good job with him. Uh, sometimes I have to be the tough one. My wife is the more, uh, you know, it's kind of good cop, bad cop. Uh, but I know he loves us both. 
anything I need to know from my son, Sky Manny. He's five years old. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on reading. I'll see if I can do a tune-in um, or not. Well, he actually comes in creating his boundaries, which is interesting. So he shows up putting a bit of a, you know, a, a boundary around him and deciding what he's going to allow, allow in. He waves to you, and at the same time, he pushes you away. He wants to be able to place you. He wants to know where you are. But he still seems as if a guy's carrying his own playpen around him, you know, with him. Mm-hmm. He wants his space. He calls his mother to him. So he seems to lean in more to the mother. What's your wife's name, please? Uni, U-N-I. Let me just see if I can get her with this. She's protective of him, which is interesting. And she sort of pulls him to her, and she sort of looks at you. It's funny, as if she takes him, and then she decides how you are going to be brought more fully into this mix. You know, So she's very much in charge. Let yes. me go to you, to your son. Give me his first name again. Sky, S-K-Y. Let's go from you to him. See, you're funny because you come through saying, well, I got to be in charge. And nobody's minding you. <laughs> listening. The kid could care less. He's doing his own thing. Your wife is in charge of that relationship. So my suspicion is they'll let you think that as long as you like. Um, you know, and that's, I'm that's sure this is just a phase, but that's how I feel a bunch yeah, of you. That's hilarious, and it's so true. Thank you. I wanted I wanted the listeners to really get a, a flavor of that. I have a couple of questions. I'm putting you on the spot for the guides, and if they come in, great, and if they don't, totally understandable. Let me ask you one. How can we teach the next generation not to live or be defined by fear when fear is so per- pervasive in our culture and educational system? Well, what I hear is, you know, you have to stop thinking of fear as a teacher. There's other ways to learn beyond fear. Now, that's what I'm getting. I mean, you know, the action of fear is to claim more fear. If you look at every choice you've made in your life, Mm -hmm. while you, because you were afraid, see what you got, more than likely you'll see, you know, that there is more fear. So I'll see if I can tune into the guides and see if there's anything they want to say about how to, how to develop the next generation. Is that the question? Will yes. be fear. I hereby letting them be themselves. That's something without deciding who they should be. So I'm trying to get to be who want to be. Stop trying to get them to be who you want them to be. Then they will find themselves. Then they will find themselves. It's less a problem with the educational system, is what I'm hearing, than the culture that supports them, the value culture, and the values of the culture that are being espoused that are being espoused through the system. The idea of dominance, the idea of dominance, the idea of, the idea of competition, the idea of control, the idea of financial rule. You're actually instructing your children in these things. And I hear they're fraudulent teachings. They're not high teachings. They are not high teachings. If you want a better world, if you want a better world, create a better life, create a better life, live the life you wish, live the life you wish, even if it doesn't conform to an idea of what should be, to an idea of what should be. Much of your, system, much of your educational system is deciding, for, is deciding for others what should be learned, what should be learned, what should be valued, what should be valued in the history you teach. And the history you teach is is the, idea, is the idea of what was of what was based on one's perspective based on one's perspective of the times they live in in the times they live in to learn who you truly are to learn who you truly are you must move to the present you must move to the present and realize yourself beyond the artifacts of history 
beyond the artifacts of history, period. Okay, thank you very much, Paul and guides. And uh, the second question I had, I think they've answered, which was what can each of us do, whether we're attuned or not, every day to raise the frequency of our world? Is there anything else they can they want to add to that? Well, I hear, you know, know who you are, know who your brother is as well. Them, the divine as them is seeking to be witnessed. The divine as you, the divine as you is seeking to be known. Invited to come forth, invited to come forth. See the divine potential. See the divine potential in all things. In all things, the presence of the divine, the presence of the divine. Everything you see in everything you see it will unmask itself. It will unmask itself if you invite it to. If you invite it to. Period. And they're saying period. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, final question. Um, since uh, when I, we did a reading together, Paul, the guides gave me an assignment. I've been following through. Uh, the, the assignment sat there for a while. Then I rediscovered it, which was do my radio show once a week, sometimes even twice a week I did it, and also get to work on a book to uh, help other people. So my question would be, what do I need to know right now, uh, and how can I best serve and relinquish the control while doing the work? In other words, how do I be effective sitting in the passenger seat now instead of always in the driver's seat? I actually hear stop trying to be something that you're not. Simply let yourself be as you are. Again, show up as fully as you can to the work of the day. To the work of the day. The work of the day gives you the lessons you need, not for the rest of your life, but for the afternoon, but for the afternoon, for the hour, for the hour, for the five minutes before you, for the five minutes before you become present and become present in the moment you sit in and you will learn, then you will learn your idea of expectation, your idea of expectation, what should be, what should be is based on the ideas you've held, is based on the ideas you've held about who you should be, about who you should be and what you have been and what you have been and these are artifacts again and these are artifacts again ways of knowing self ways of knowing the self that don't support your identity that don't support your true identity claim the truth of who you are claim the truth of who you are allow it to come forth allow it to come forth and be your teacher and be your teacher period and they're saying period all right thank you very much and thank you guys thank you paul um uh, let's wrap it up. The name of the book is The Book of Freedom. Paul Selig, he's the author of I Am the Word and five other books. Tell us about the new book and then uh, also where people can find you, whether events you have coming up now. Well, um, you can find me through my website, which is just Paul, P-A-U-L, Selig, S-E-L-I-G dot com. And there's a lot of information there on upcoming events and information on the books and videos of channeling and Everything else you could want, lots of interviews. Um, the next book is called Beyond the Known Realization. It's coming out in August from St. Martin's. Um, it's got an introduction by Aubrey Marcus, which I'm excited about. Wow. And um, what's coming up next? This coming week, I'm going to be in this weekend, I'll be in San Diego doing a workshop. The following week, I'm going to be in Indianapolis. Um, then I will be in Alexandria, Virginia, um, Indianapolis, uh, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, pretty much, you know, three times a month, there's an event going on somewhere. And on Wednesday nights, I'm channeling online. I do live stream seminars most Wednesday nights. And that information's up on the website as well. The guides are teaching and taking questions there. 
Fantastic. Well, listen, Paul, thank you so much. I know you just got off a plane from Austin. I know how busy you are. I know how strenuous your work can be. And uh, I know how giving you are. So I want to thank you and the guide so much for gracing us on Guys Guys Radio. You've been with me uh, for each book. I hope you'll come back for the next book. And uh, your work that you're doing has been a big inspiration on my life and so many others. So God bless you and thank you for doing what you're doing and keep doing it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Robert. Okay, Paul, stay well. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny. Oh, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Paul Selig as much as I did. He's just an amazing individual, and uh, his guides who uh, he channels have been so helpful for so many people, and uh, something you might want to consider, just checking out Paul's work. Okay, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned uh, New Year's 2019 and uh, my process of elimination diet and kind of New Year's resolutions, but I don't want to get into a whole bunch of tips for that right now. I usually do a guy's guy's guide at the end of the show, but we're running a little bit tight, but I just would like to give you one consideration, and it doesn't matter if it's New Year's, just any day you wake up. Do what you can to stay positive and be appreciative. No matter what situation you're in, remember you're still alive. And if you're listening to this, you're probably better off than 95% of all the people who are inhabiting our planet. You know, here I am in New York and it's cold here. But yesterday I opened the window, I let the raw wind in and I was breathing it in and I was thinking, wow, I am so lucky to have shelter. Imagine how tough life was when people had to survive these long winters without heat, hot water, toilets, and all the creature comforts we take for granted. In many ways, we create our own reality, so it's critical that we manage our thoughts and our outlook. Here's a test for you. One day, see if you can avoid complaining, arguing, or even thinking negatively about anything. Just a day, 24 hours. Can you do it? It's not easy. But if you can do that for one day, I guarantee you, you will feel surprisingly good. Every day is a new beginning that brings with it another chance to raise your vibration or frequency. And when you raise yours, you raise a lot more that's out there in the world. And we all help with the whole global consciousness that way. So put your phone down once in a while. Get outside, particularly if you're in Southern California. I know it rains a lot at this time of year, but still get out there and thank the universe for your many blessings. I promise you it'll, it'll make a difference. So that's our uh, Guys Guys Radio for the week. We're going to be back next Wednesday, same time. Same channel, same bat channel, um, and I'm going to be bringing you uh, some male uh, experts on men who are going to share their perspectives with us. I'm going to have some female relationships coming up. I want to start out with a couple of metaphysical experts, but I'll keep bringing different folks from entertainment, from sports, metaphysical, wellness. I've got some diet people coming up, men's experts, women's experts, relationship experts, all for your listening pleasure. So thanks for, so much for listening to Guys Guys Radio. Again, we're back next Wednesday on KCAA at 8 p.m. Pacific time. I hope you have a great week. And until then, remember, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. Finish first.